welcome back to Legit Bat. Finally, it's been a few weeks, uh, you know, stuff going on. And I uh, turned on my computer for the first time in like three weeks and it decided to update itself and everything's wonky. There's buttons that aren't there anymore and I don't know what I'm doing. So hopefully this actually works out and everyone can hear it. I don't know. Uh, what else do we? Oh, yeah, I'm missing a pair of headphones. So me and Jen are sharing headphones today. So that's another fun thing. Tell. And We're, the listeners don't give a shit. I don't, well, I don't care what they think. What up, retarded faggots? <laughs> stuck my balls. Oh. <laughs> uh, we do have Steve and Melissa from BG Cast today. And these are some of the fine people we got to meet in Denver a couple months ago. And we had a couple conversations about kind of homesteading type stuff and uh, mostly sourdough starter because Melissa's really into making a bunch of that. So, and I think Melissa, you had just started right around the time that we met you, right? Didn't you just start in August? And I think we met you at the end of August. Yeah. It now it's come so far. Me, it was the day I baked my first loaf of bread, actually, because I had to come back home and bake it, if you remember right, because it was. Yeah. Pretty- yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember you had to leave early because you had to go check on your sourdough. And I was like, that's. Steve's like, badass. Melissa's leaving. She has bread stuff to do. I'm like, no, I get it. Totally get it. Well, it's a long way because I've I've been following your story on Facebook and your sourdoughs are more and more intricate every day. They're amazing. Yeah, it's been a fun little hobby. It it really started as one of those. um, I'm one of those people that uh, often find myself uh, in a lot of new hobbies because I always think I can do that. And I saw a sourdough starter post somewhere on Facebook and I thought, well, it really can't be that difficult. And I looked up how to make it and I'm like, well, shit, I can do this in my kitchen. So that's really, oh, frankly, yeah. how it started. I made my own starter and made it from scratch. And hopefully I'll have it 10, 20 years from now. And somebody be wearing around their neck in the wilderness, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, that might be that. sooner than later. So <laughs> I do want to know about the uh, like the actual how to make the sourdough starter without uh, from scratch. Yeah, from yeah. scratch or however you do it. I think you have to buy culture or something. I could be wrong. We can get into that later, though. But uh, Steve. First of all, because we were before the show talking for a little bit about other homesteading stuff, like making your own wine and beer. Yes, yeah. he's thinking about getting into that. He's already done wine, so yeah. Tell us some about. Tell us more, like we talked about before the show about your winemaking. Of course, of course. So back back a couple of years ago, I got really into making it, and I'm getting really into making it again. Uh, it's really it's really simple to make wine. Everybody, it's not very hard all you really need is a five gallon glass water container or you can do like a five gallon glass uh bin um and just some champagne yeast some yeast nutrients some bentonite clay along with um your choice of grapes or if you want to do organic grape juice concentrate which is actually what i used to do and um just some really clean water it's not very hard at all and uh you know this is something i've tried to show to people throughout the years it uh just takes the want to do it and the time to bottle it and uh it's a little fun project you could do if you've entertained making wine or you've thought about you know stepping into the world of making beer things like that i really think wine's a good stepping stone because it gets you used to the simple methods that are have been tried and true for millennia. I mean, we talk about it. People have been drinking wine since humans have been walking upright. So, like I said, Jesus was a big fan, and he was. that's when we were talking about the sulfite thing. So, you said you aged them, and you accidentally aged one batch for a year. Uh, so, what are you aging it in? Because we didn't even get into that. Like, are you putting it in oak barrels, or are you just leaving it in the the glass container thing? 
So essentially, we just leave them in the glass bottles. So uh, there was a corker thing we used to put the cork in them. Or if we had old screw top bottles or things like that, we would eventually end up using those. We Back when we were doing it in my buddy's basement and down into our duplex that we, uh, the second place we lived in when we first moved out here to Colorado, um, we were reusing as many of the old wine bottles as we could. And really, it's just in a dark, not too hot, not too cold environment. That's exactly where you want to keep it. Um, if you got a closet in your basement or something like that, that's, you know, because the basement's usually the coldest area. It's got the concrete and the foundation. That would be a really good place to leave it. And it's interesting. So when you first get done with the fermentation and the wine is complete, you can drink it. Um, if you're a wine connoisseur, though, you're probably going to be disappointed a little bit because it's going to taste like fermented grape juice. Not that that's people a bad thing. People are always I mean. disappointed and they always think they know more than they do. I hate those people. Stop it. <laughs> I'll taste the same. They're always sniff. They sniff the glass first, right? They they waft it. <laughs> You gotta see the sheeting on the glass. Yeah, we, I, I, we went to a wine tasting. No, you have to. Yeah. you put your nose all the way in the glass first, which is gross. Very weird. And then you swirl it around, and then you. I think they're sip called it. legs. The yeah. sheeting comes down on the glass. Actually, the legs Not, of the wine. Yeah, I'm actually just kidding. I'm sure these people know way more about wine than me. But I mean, I've seen <laughs> the wine tastings we've gone to. I mean, you know, the old joke, the two buck Chuck bottle wins like a lot of the time on a blind taste test. Um, <laughs> we bought, I, I don't, was it us that one? Did we win that one? Yeah. I, it no, was like a $3 I bought, bottle. I bought two, two wines from grocery outlet Yeah, and we just wrapped them in foil and I won third place out of like 20 wines. My wine won third and I just got this giant wine glass. I mean, but granted, either way, the people it was we're a wins. bottle of wine from grocery outlet. They're not exactly wine connoisseurs. It's Northern <laughs> California. So, I mean, it's a bunch of rednecks drinking wine. But I mean, but it is funny. You see those things where the cheapest fucking wine will win this crazy taste test. And the, these pretentious assholes are sitting there like, oh, yes, notes of blackberry and oak and cherry. And, and it's <laughs> like two buck chuck. <laughs> it depends, though, on where your wine sits in the number because it goes by they have numbers but if you have the 20th wine everyone's wasted by that point so it's just kind of like oh you know this is pretty good so maybe our wine was one of the last ones well i think that that is part of it because you know the uh, real wine tastings they have like the palate cleansers and the spittoons because they're not actually even drinking it you got the palate cleanser in between so they get a fresh feel for the next wine that, that yeah, would probably make a difference but we've never uh, been to a wine tasting i'm not like that fancy that. i'm not that white <laughs> no you know, it's funny too, because like, yeah, I mean, I, I've really, I've never actually given this wine or anything to an actual wine connoisseur, but the aging process is actually what kind of, to me, at least from what I've seen through, through the trial and error, I've done it is um, it's really what kind of adds the taste and the flavor. Like we were talking about before the show, um, you know, we had one that was aged for three months, one that was aged for six, then one we forgot about that was remember when, when Billy found yeah, that bottle yet. Like some stuff yeah it was about it, it, it had been in there for like over a year almost a year and a half and uh you know the three month one tasted a lot like a cabernet um you know and then um the six month one started to get a little bit more on the drier side it started tasting like a sangiovese or like a chianti one of those wines 
And then um, as the the year and a half one is what blew our mind because it tasted like a dry port wine and it was very, very strong. And, you know, I theorized that is possibly there was some yeast in there that just continued to ferment whatever. That's was what I was going to ask is if the longer you age it, the higher the alcohol gets. I don't know anything about that. I just know I do know aging is important with scotch. I can tell the difference between a scotch that's aged for, you know, 21 years versus a two year. But does it does it actually increase the alcohol content? Have you checked it? like with the dipstick or whatever so so no i did not check it with the dipstick my, one of my one of the things that i know for sure will increase the alcohol content of your wine is if you use champagne yeast if you use champagne yeast in your wine which i would use quite a lot and you do a double or a triple fermentation and that's something i would implement when i would do my wine batches we would start the initial fermentation and then after that, we would add some more of the grape juice concentrate and, you know, we'd add a little bit more more water and then the double fermentation would kick in. And from what we were collecting back then, it was about 16% a bottle. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it was decently. And you want to know what? This stuff was so clean. You could drink a whole bottle and you would not get a headache the next day. You you would wake up and you would be completely fine. Well, because you're not adding sulfites too. Isn't a lot of that? I mean, it might be a wives tale, but isn't a lot of the headache from wine from the sulfites? I would a- I would think so. Or some of the additives that they use, the tannins as well. Tannins, if you're like allergic to tannins or if you have uh, some sort of, uh, you have a reaction to tannins. Yeah, yeah, go open the door for the pup. She's letting the, the pup down. She's whining up there. Hey, she's got to take poo poos. She's a good girl. She's a good girl. She just wants to be with us. She wants to be. She's got separation our, anxiety. So like our whenever, dog is the same way. I get it. whenever we're in a different room, she wants to come on down here. But the tannins. Um. So a lot of you know tannins don't just exist in wine. There's a lot of different foods that have tannins. So you I mean you have black tea. That's why if you guys have ever noticed, if you've drank black tea on an empty stomach, you immediately get nauseous. That's because it's it's very it's very high in tannins. So I think tannins are really what I would call a classic compound that comes from the plant itself and also part of the fermentation process. I kind of call it similar to so a lot of plant com- compounds have things called saponins in them and they're almost like um you know the soap nuts that we use to make the homemade laundry detergent they have saponins in them and things like that as well so the tannins the tannin content i guess really kind of deviates for what the quality of the wine is like if you're going to be drinking a really good bottle of wine you're not going to have that many tannins in it however if you're going to be drinking um the kangaroo or whatever it's called. What's the name of the can? Or or the or uh, or you know, yeah, uh, front or Franzia. Are you going for the boxed wine? That you- <laughs> Joe, Joe raised his hand. He's he's like, I'm guilty of Franzia. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and Peter Vella and whatever those other ones are. You can get some decent ones in the box, but they're a little more expensive. I'm not that rich. I got to get the cheap box. Well, it's funny so, you brought up two buck Chuck because that that actually used to, to yeah we used to get two buck Chuck back in the day. Oh, yeah. We had it at our wedding. I think it was two fifty at the time, and I think it's like four dollars now. Yeah, but so I, we no still longer, call it two buck Chuck. No longer two buck for Chuck. Uh, <laughs> isn't there something else? And I don't know if it's in grapes. I know it's in blueberries and some anything that's like purple like that. I think it's called anthocyanins. Have you heard of that? Anthocyanins, yes. Yeah. So the, they're 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 a type of, if I'm correct, a polyphenol compound. A lot of uh, different fruits and vegetables have this, and um, it's an antioxidant. 
And um, actually, I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Um, it's uh, I've heard of resveratrol. So resveratrol is actually an anthocyanin. Um, it's in a lot of red wines and they actually attribute or there's evidence and, um, you know, speculation that it attributes to why people in Europe drink a large amount of wine or, or modern drinkers of red wine, but they do not have the same health effects and they do not have the same, I guess you could say health consequences that people in the United States do when it comes to, of course, we know that a lot of our stuff lacks nutrition. A lot of the stuff overseas is a lot different. It's a different ball game than the things that we get here, but yeah, no, they're a, they're a, if I'm correct, a polyphenol compound. Um, a lot of different fruits have them and it is an antioxidant. And this is where a lot of the, uh, studies that moderate drinking of red wine is actually good for you in a lot of ways. Now there's been conflicting studies that have come out have now said that no amount of alcohol is good for you to drink. But, you know, um, my, my um, philosophy on that is, is, you know, uh, everything kind of kills you in this world, I guess. Yeah, you know what kills you the most? Being alive. And I mean, it, you can't escape it. Like, oh, I don't do this because it's unhealthy. Going outside and breathing the air is unhealthy for you at this point. I mean, eating things out of your own garden are probably not as healthy as they could be anymore because of the water and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about it. Go, go suck on a tailpipe. Tell me how healthy it is. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, honey? I was going to say, you can ask any mortician. Most people don't die of natural causes anymore. Most people die of cancer, period. Makes sense. And yeah. I saw a nice thing the other day, and this is kind of goes into the more of the, I guess maybe not the Gerson method, but any, the cancer thing, like uh, we talked to Mitch, the organ donor a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about doing audio autophagia where you, you literally don't eat or drink for an entire day. Nothing, nothing goes in. And then after that, he'll like drink water, but he'll fast for like three days. And he's like, basically it starts, it's your body eating itself, but it's eating all the bad shit. It gets, it gets rid of stuff. Like he's like, you could literally, you can't say cure for cancer without getting sued. But it could be a viable treatment in the future if you get cancer to just do that. Because if there's no sugar going in, it's like the feeding the yeast in the wine. Like if there's well, no sugar going start, in, it, it stops it. It starts eating the unhealthy cells that are going to divide and cause cancer and grow into cancer. Your body starts processing those for food because it needs the energy. Yeah, so it, it kills grind, it all. It grinds them up. Well, you know, I've... So, so uh, the autophagy is a very interesting thing because like, it's like one of the, at least in my opinion, one of the best self healing remedies around, and it's not really spoken about, you know, I mean, the, the cellular regeneration that occurs with that. I mean, there's a lot of scientific studies. Another reason why I think we have cancers, a lot of cancers going on too, is the acidic environment of the body. Um, there was a scientist in the 20s, I'll have to pull it up and send it to you guys, but he actually won a Nobel Prize because he made the startling discovery that cancer cannot survive in an alkaline environment in your body. Um, it has something to do with the pH levels of your actual blood and um, your body itself that dictates that genetic sequence is what he was talking about. So I think, you know, yeah, it, it, if, if people are looking to, um, you know, get to better health that those are very two good options, man. And that's pretty interesting. You guys were talking about that. 
Yeah, it's the first time I've heard of that. I mean, I, I know about fasting, but literally having no input of anything for 24 hours. I mean, I would have to be on vacation to do that. Oh, shit, I am right now. No, I'm not going to do that this week. Uh, but it, it, you'd think like, oh, dehydration and all that. And he's like, no, it pulls all the water out of everywhere else. Like you'll lose so much weight just in water weight because it's pulling everything it can from everything else. Then after a day, you know, you start sipping water and kind of replenish like, that. Okay to sip water every now and then during uh, that first he, day. I thought he was making it sound like absolutely nothing in. I think he said no, nothing besides. Well, I don't think water could be a thing that would hurt you in any way. It was just nothing else. Not coffee, not juice. He was nothing. talking about for more like weight reduction, though. Like if, if you're trying to lose weight really quick. I mean, that would be one way is not eat or drink anything. I mean, kids in Africa do it all the time. Look at them. I'm telling you. I was going to say, I was going to say, honey, um, why don't you tell them about the other sourdough products we've been doing or the other sour sourdough projects you've been doing? Yeah, let's get into the breads. Yeah, because I saw the cool, uh, it was like the goat cheese and blueberry and thyme. Is that what it was? It was a wild blueberry goat cheese with lemon and thyme. And nice. Very, very good. That was it's one of the so more recent inclusion breads that I've been trying to do. As I get a little bit more confident in the loaves and obviously as the starter has grown in strength um, since August, because really it, it's one of those things that you have to constantly feed and keep taking care of. And I bake a lot. So honestly, I go through a lot of starter, um, but we've been doing bagels. Um, I've been doing a lot of crackers because ultimately when you're doing a lot of sourdough, you sometimes end up with discard. I've started to learn how to cut back certain ratios so that I have less discard. And ultimately you want to be able to use everything that you're producing. You don't want to just throw away a, a practically a cup of flour a day, you know, so um, right. getting on a good baking schedule, um, baking loaves of breads, really trying to bake on consumption. And um, any of my loaves that fail, I just put them in the freezer for, uh, next week for Thanksgiving stuffing. I'll dry all those oh, out. Perfect. There you go. That's, That's awesome. So how do you make starter? So when you're describing this starter, I'm thinking of this living thing that's like a little job of the hut, like living in your kitchen and growing that you feed and it's like... Little homunculus. Little yeah. Little for real though, what is it? <laughs> it kind of is though. Um, I mean, it, literally it is just to to start your own starter and I can um, certainly send you guys the link to what I used. It's literally good housekeeping's how to create starter, but it is flour and water. Um, it's all purpose flour and um, wheat flour because wheat flour has some rye in it. And that's what really starts the process. And literally you just let it sit and it starts to collect bacteria that's in the air. I know that sounds maybe a little funky, but literally you're you're letting this flower rot is a, if you kind of think about it that way as the lactobacillus um, bacteria starts to eat that flower and then ultimately you're keeping that bacteria strong and alive so for the first um, 9 to 12 days that you have that starter the bacteria is actually not safe to eat so you need to discard I would imagine <laughs> um, it smells good though it smells fruity um it's hard to describe because you think it would smell like sourdough but once you get past that threshold it really starts to develop that sour smell and as it sits on the in, in our fridge if i'm not using it or on our counter if we're using it it, de it actually develops hooch because it as it starves you'll see this layer of alcohol and i've saved some pictures because i want to do a post on that um but yeah, it's, it's been a fun little ever. project and it's fun to be able to 
uh, obviously cook for yourself and we don't literally buy any bread or any baked goods anymore because I'm like, um, excuse me, for, don't be buying anything from the store. I will make that for she, you. She gets mad at me if I gaze at the bread section. If oh we're in the grocery <laughs> She's like, she's, she, it's like, it's like, I'll gaze over at the loaves and she'll like, look at me and be like, whoa, <laughs> it's like, yeah. like you're looking at another woman. She's like, don't you dare. <laughs> she's like, look at my loaf. I have felt that way when we've had hello fresh a couple of times and it's had like a little brioche bun or like a ciabatta on the side. And I'm like, all right, starter, don't look at me eating <laughs> other bun. It was so funny. I was just in a bun. I was in Tampa, Florida for a few days uh the past weekend and uh we went grocery shopping and I bought some sourdough bread and I texted her and I was like, Don't be mad. <laughs> like I'm cheating on you in Tampa. Don't worry, I put, this I put butter on it first. <laughs> I'm not a monster. I sent photos of it to make her jealous, not it and not it. But, it um, probably wasn't hilarious. as good as mine. So. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But um, no, yeah, I mean, she's uh, the you know her, her the sourdough cinnamon rolls as 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 they're so addicting. I, I it's definitely next they're level. Really dangerous. I've honestly just been trying to practice different things and learn how to do bulk bulk loaves and make more bread because I'd love to be able to potentially do it as somewhat of a side business and get my cottage law license and be able to do that as a little bit of a side gig, maybe a, a somewhat permanent gig in the future if it takes off. Colorado, while it, it can be a great place for small businesses, it, it certainly is probably, I think it is the hardest place to open a restaurant or any type of food business in the nation. You can look it up right now. It's the hardest place to get wow. established. But I think with, uh, for me, I'm happy to do it as a hobby and it can slowly grow into something more if it does. And if it doesn't, you know, I provide for my family and that's enough for me. It makes me happy. So she corrected me. Awesome. Sorry. So she corrected me on some of the cottage laws. I was, I was wrong about a couple of things, but she, but she's, she's going to come here and, uh, well, clear, the, clear the record. So with cottage law and it's in it's different state to state and what cottage law is basically the FDA turning its eye on certain products that you can safely make in your home and you have to label them with certain labels. And there are there are certain rules and regulations around being a cottage law baker or a cottage law, um, et cetera. It's more than just baking. Some people do canning and other types of jams and goods and things of that nature. Um, there are certain items in Colorado, especially that are regulated. And I've been kind of looking at groups and seeing what other people do with recipes because certain butters, like you can't do a butter, uh, buttercream frosting because it's not shelf stable, even though I'm like buttercream is shelf stable, but okay, we'll just go with that. That's fine. <laughs> but it's pretty shelf, shelf stable by itself. You remember the nineties, we'd leave butter out on the counter for days and weeks and just we take a leave our butter yes. out on the counter all the time. It's, it, it is. Yeah. So it's, it, that's one of the things. And with cottage law, there's also rules about how much money you can make. Um, and the way that works is it's $10,000 per year per item. And so if you really okay. think about that, you can break it down to, I can sell $10,000 in chocolate chip cookies and I can ten, do $10,000 in artisanal sourdough. And I can do $10,000 in uh, jalapeno cheddar sourdough. You you can do it in each of those different um products and then ultimately that's how i don't know how the irs would regulate that i'm certainly very new to they'll find a way i'm sure this. <laughs> they'll find a way to get their cut especially if you're making you know six figures on sourdough bread i'm sure they will be like oh interesting that sounds they'll be good. all up in your business over that 
<laughs> so cottage law thing is weird. I'd never even heard that term yeah. ever. Maybe that's a Colorado thing because I guarantee you we don't have shit like that in uh, California. But we did kind of briefly mention uh, PMAs. But there's there's plenty of other shows on private members associations. So how did that? Do you know how that came about, or is that just a Colorado thing? It's not just a Colorado thing. I'm in quite a few groups where people will talk about, you know, these are the cottage laws in Indiana and people are really great at sharing information and recipes and PDF documents of these are things I had to do or things I had to follow. But ultimately, as a cottage law baker, you're really making sure your customer knows that, yes, I've taken the cert- food safety certification course, you know, it, kind of basic food handling um, that you probably would do if you had a restaurant job or something else is what I imagine. I haven't taken it personally myself yet. Safe, um, that kind of thing. You know, exactly, exactly. And then, um, you know, once you've gone through those steps, it's really just letting the folks that are purchasing your goods know that like I've, I cook this in my home kitchen. There could be allergens. There could be other things, not dissimilar from other items that you purchase in a regular grocery store, but that you're calling that out. And you're saying that these are the things that are in it. It's wheat, it's salt, it's water, it's et cetera. And putting that on a label. And then that's the way you can legally sell it otherwise you would just be accepting donations like most people would do in any type of other bartering situation gotcha meanwhile they should know that if someone's going outside of the grocery store to purchase food they know where it's coming from they know that it's homemade by somebody in their kitchen and they know it didn't come from a big corporation and that's why they're going outside of that Yep. So it's weird that they would make you say that because it's just redundant at that point. It's because like, yeah, okay, people that are going to sue you over job. everything and they're just like, we don't want to deal with it. So yeah. Put it yeah. yeah, and probably protects yourself to an extent of, the, of sure. you know, nefarious sue-happy people that are out there and not everybody's a good person. So Yeah, I that's know. true. People, it is, it is, and especially, you know, what you were talking about uh, earlier when you say you can't say it's a cure for cancer because the, the FDA will come and sue you. It, it is. It's, it's just gotten crazy. And I mean, if you guys even look at um, what's happening with the Amish right now, I don't know if you've heard that the, they've been going after the Amish. They've been going after the Amish now. Um, they don't want them. I guess they were trying to. There was one colony in Pennsylvania, Amish colony in Pennsylvania. They were trying to. No, they were they were going after them. It was at the beginning of 2023. If I remember correctly, and um, of course, you know the Amish drink raw milk. They have uh, farm fresh everything. Churn their butter. They churn their own butter and all that. I know. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. out there have had Amish butter, and it's some of the best. And uh, but because it's taking away from the corporate food conglomerate, and it's putting, you know, it's delivering. I guess you could say. Um, clean, whole, organic, unadulterated foods to people. What our grandparents used to call food. Exactly. Exactly. We got we got to label it nowadays. But back in the day, you know, it's funny because I, I listen to a lot of the old people and the old timers talk about the food today, and they're like, it doesn't taste the same. They, they, I've, I've verbatim have heard this from quite a few. Um, my grandmother before she passed away, being one of them, is it doesn't taste the same. The food's not the same, and you know, and that's why I think a lot of people are starting to reach out to people like Melissa and others who are kind of, you know, taking the torch and, you know, starting to to actually do a sustainable way of clean, healthy eating. And maybe one day we can go back to just calling it food again. Hopefully that would be nice. That would be great. So I, I wanted to get in a little bit. Uh, did I cut you off? No, I was I just with the Amish thing. So are they actually go, how are they going after them? Because they live in their own community. Is it with 
people are people outside of the Amish community going inside of their community to purchase their goods now no. at this point? Because there is a, a movement for people who want fresh food, just like what you were just saying. But back in the day, maybe 10 years ago, or maybe even sooner, people made fun of the Amish and said, oh, I can't believe they live like that. I can't believe they don't go to the grocery store and they don't use electricity. And now people are like, actually, that's pretty dope. That sounds awesome. And we might okay, even so be doing that pretty soon. Amish farmer faces fines prison time for refusing to comply with the USDA. And then, um, and then why is the US government going after Amish farmers? So I have this here. It's from New York Times. So Amish farming draws rare government scrutiny. Yep, I was right. There's Lancaster, PA with simplicity. Yeah. So essentially what had happened here um, is the federal government is claiming that they saw their farming practices environmentally destructive. Isn't that ironic? Wow. <laughs> Isn't That's that terrifying, though, because they've been around forever. So if they're attacking it there. Have you ever seen a McDonald's beef farm? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look up pictures. I'm not shitting you. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super disgusting. As they really start to attack those smaller things. I mean, as I've learned a little bit more of all the different things that I've wanted to start exploring for, for our lives, you know, even with canning. You know, how do you get people to stop canning and growing their own food and to go to the grocery stores? Well, all of a sudden start getting them scared of botulism, get them scared of all these things. And it's what really deterred people from canning. And it's still in the community. People are very much so scared of it being food safe and other things when it was kind of always food safe. They knew what they were doing. But now you can buy it on the shelf and it's here and it's branded and it's by Eagle and you can buy it today. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, what I was going to talk about before we were talking about the Amish, what kind of flour do you use? So I had a conversation with somebody the other day about using wheat berries instead of actual processed flour. So if you're going to go go all the way and really go like if you're trying to make it healthy bread and not just homemade, I think anything you make at home, even the uh, I made hoagies yesterday, I think those are way healthier than anything you could get at the store, but it's still processed unbleached but still processed flour so is there a way to like because i know i well i think i heard wheat berries can store for a way longer time than flour like dried wheat berries and then you can kind of grind it up and just make your own flour have you tried that yet or are you just using commercial flour i have not tried that i use king arthur organic bread flour when i make my bread um it's obviously available it's it's good um, I have seen people who do the the wheat berries and they grind it themselves. It's like kind of a very fun, like, oh, I would love to do that and just be like grinding my flour. So it's something I would I would love to explore. We could look into it one day. It, it is more laborious than what I'm doing now, for sure. So it's like in layers as you slowly start to do some of these things, I think you explore. OK, well, maybe I could do that myself. So that um, We'll be right back after this quick ad break, so get the skip button ready. But if it doesn't play, well, lucky you. That uh, I mean, I haven't gone uh, there either yet, making my own flour. That's kind of next level. Like, don't you need a donkey and a big rock and shit like that? In my like, mind, I was thinking I could just get one of those giant atlas stones and have Steve just like push it through some area and just have me out working routine. Have me working out in the flower fields all day. <laughs> Fuck it, do it on the kitchen floor. It's gonna be sitting on the counter for a while anyway, right? Like exactly. Get exactly. in there early. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, the whole time Melissa's grinding the flour, she's like, Steve, Steve. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's out in the yard <laughs> with a harness on, like a yoke. He's like yoked to a rock. <laughs> by, that, by that point, he's got the Amish beard and the hat and everything. And they, we call him Zebediah now. Like, <laughs> Government's coming for them next. <laughs> yep. See us in the news. They'll be, they'll be at our door in no time. You know, we, we've also made... Proto-Gothic with our little pitchfork. <laughs> We've also made cheese before. Cheese is also another very interesting endeavor. When it's it on the list. Cheese is a very, it's it's fun. You know, they have simple cheeses. So um, a really easy one anybody can make um, is called Easy Cheese. It's called a queso blanco. And uh, all you really require is a gallon or two of unpasteurized, non-homogenized milk. Which is essentially raw milk, um, but if you can't find raw milk, I mean, if you have a natural grocer's or a Whole Foods or something like that near you, you can go get a gallon of the unpasteurized, non-homogenized, and that's where you have the cream separating from the uh, the whey and stuff. And all you need is citric acid, a cheesecloth, and a strainer, and that's really all there is to it. You bring the milk up to about two... I yeah. think it's the last thing. So right? you don't use rennet in the easy cheese, but the next one you do. Yeah, so, one. so this is so basically all you do is you take the gallon of milk, you heat it up very slowly uh, to 200 degrees, and you take it off the heat. You add a couple teaspoons of citric acid, cover, let sit for a little bit, and then you'll pull off the cover, and you'll see that the cheese is starting to curd. And then what you do after that is you go over to your cheesecloth and you strain uh, the whey off. You can keep the whey and you can make ricotta cheese with it or you can make homemade whey protein with it. It's totally up to you what you decide to do. But then you um, fold salt into the curds after you strain it and then you roll it up in the cheesecloth and you press it down with weight and then it actually starts to form this cheese disc um, after you just leave it there and you press it down. And um, the queso blanco is very good. What it reminds me of is queso fresco. If you guys like queso, a little bit like a fattier version of queso fresco. And, you know, a lot of people don't mind white cheeses. And then you have mozzarella, which is almost a similar process, um, except that one requires rennet. And, um, you know, it's it, cheese is actually a relatively simple thing to make. And, you know, it's really cool to actually see a lot more people starting to explore even into cheese making. And then it's like, we're going to have the trifecta, cheese, bread, and wine. We're going to be good to go. So, Oh, right. hell yeah. I, I tried I, to make sour cream, homemade sour yeah. cream with a starter. No, it was, was too, it was too, it was too hot, I think. So I had to let it. It has to set at a very very specific specific temperature. We don't have a basement. So in California, there are no basements. There's no safe place. You don't have anywhere you can go where the temperature is just steady except for the inside. So I think, I actually think it was before summer because we had kept the house at like 68 degrees and it needed to be 74 to 77. Too too cold. And we don't turn our heat up that hot in the winter. So I was like, shit, I can't do this. So I stuck it in the microwave and just left it there because I felt like that was the safest, warmest place where it would be not, you know, just have no fluctuation of air. And it never set. But you can make mozzarella out of that, too, and ricotta out of that as well. They had a bunch of recipes. I actually made or I actually ate some of it, though. Starter, though, it wasn't just rented or anything. It was like a whole little starter thing that I bought. So I ate some of that sour cream. It didn't kill me. It was just like thin (laughs) sour cream. It almost turned into a kefir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making sour cream this weekend. (laughs) Was it like a kefir that you put in like a milk to make? Yeah. So you heat yes. the milk okay, okay. to 185 and then I have like a candy thermometer just to make sure that it's at the exact right temperature. And then I took it off and then you add 
the starter and then you pour it into um I just put it in mason jars and then you let it just sit out and after 16 hours it's supposed to set and it never did uh, we'll try again though. Maybe a uh, maybe at a spring or autumn time. Well, I let but... it sit in the fridge for four weeks, and it totally set after that. But it was also like blue and disgusting and moldy. Oh well, that's just probiotic. It'll help your gut gut biome out. No, I have <laughs> yeah, uh, right and it could be the algorithm on Facebook knowing what I want to watch. It definitely knows I want to watch cooking videos because that's all I watch on Facebook. That's the only reason I have it really is to watch people grill stuff, and then I get ideas. Then I go to the store, and I'm like, babe, guess what I'm making. But uh, it is interesting. I've seen a lot more people making cheese in the whole pro, like almost Amishy looking people, like doing it in like wood bowls and all this stuff. I'm like, well, fuck! If you can do it, I can totally do it. I have a kitchen. But uh, we, I, I think we mentioned it on the show back when we first did it. But making butter probably one of the easiest fucking things you could do if you want to start getting into this making your own shit thing. You mm-hmm. get. You can actually get uh, raw milk or from sprouts. Yeah, sprouts. You can get raw milk. We made raw raw fucking butter or raw cream. So you and you you beat it with a fucking hand mixer for like fifteen minutes, and boom, you have butter. Like it's that fucking easy. And then so I made it. Make sure you squeeze all the water out. Yeah, no, I mean it's more than just that. But so yeah, we made raw butter, and I made I can't remember what I made. I I saved the buttermilk. Yeah, I saved the buttermilk from it. So I made pancakes out of the buttermilk, and then put raw butter that we made on the pancakes like it was unbelievably tasty it had a more like earthy type of taste to it i don't know how to put it it was just flavorful as shit but yeah if you want to start doing weird shit butter's where it's at go down and get a half gallon of uh cream and just whip it up and make butter like i said have you guys made butter do that for christmas this year just give everyone raw butter and like uh we can do a sourdough yeah there you go sourdough and butter it was so funny. She was saying we accidentally made we made sweet butter I one made, time I was on that. Trying to make whipped cream, and I like kind of wasn't oh, overdid it. How long it was whipping, and it eventually. And then I'm like, some of it was whipped cream, but then the middle of it, I was like, that is like a lot thicker. And then I realized I'm like, oh, this is butter. So yeah, that was yeah. It's weird because it, it hits a stage. It. What was that? Oh, it hits a stage when you're beating it where it, all of a sudden you can see it happen. It separates and it separates yeah, liquid whoa. into the fat. And it's like, oh, I think we're there. Yep. Well, I was going to say, if you end up making it again, the thing that I really want to do for Christmas, I've seen people make the butter candles where you'll Ooh. pour some, you get a food safe wick Ooh. and then you pour melted butter into a cup, like a Dixie cup that you can tear away. And then you put the butter candle, light it, and then you can dip your bread in the butter. Um, I get a lot of bread videos on my Facebook page. So there's just a lot wow. of bread. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of bread pornography going on in the kitchen upstairs. <laughs> it's a big problem. Yeah. It, it is, it is. You know, it's 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 amazing though, because like when you look at it all, I mean, what does it cost? Only like three dollars to make. If you really wanna, if you really it's like maybe three or four dollars a loaf, and you're paying seven plus dollars at the grocery store, and it's ten times better anyway. And it's oh, on yeah. demand. Oh yeah, so, so she's constantly. I call it the rotation. She'll she'll know, she'll know That's she'll. What I was doing upstairs before I came down, <laughs> finishing the shaping, and then I was like, all right, it's gonna sit, and we're done, and we're good. And then she, so it's funny because like she'll know because uh, she'll have two two loaves and proofing at all times. It's so funny because I'll end up taking the bread to work, or you know, I'll make sandwiches with it and things like that. And she'll come down and she'll see there's four slices left, and then I'll come. 
home and I'll see there's two loaves already proofing and uh circle of life. It's the circle of life. Circle of bread. And honestly, um she, she tell them about um Krusty Krab or or your baking company that you oh. just started off. So that I, I'm still working on the name, but I'm definitely I made this cute little crab logo because I'm a cancer and I am from the East Coast. And so it's called Krusty Charm Bake Krusty House um, is my Facebook page where I've been trying to post more of my bread content and have it hopefully one day be a place where folks can one day order my goods. That's not a bad idea. Um, that's a lot of these pages I follow. They're just dudes in their backyard cooking and they film it. They're like, this is something I tried today. And they have millions of, of followers and not that that's important, but that is easily monetizable as a side hustle, making videos of you making sourdough stuff. And then have like, here's a link to where you can buy this that I just made. Yeah. yeah. I practiced a little time-lapse video last weekend of my starter rising. I thought really that good. was pretty fun. There you go. <laughs> so more of my little content here and there. I mean, she's doing awesome. She has people who, I mean, are literally her neighbor down the street, like legit. She came and picked up some of the uh, smoke shredded uh, uh, Gouda bagels. And she legit called her and goes like, I want you to bake bread and make crackers for my Thanksgiving. And I was, like, I was like, really? Can you do that? Oh, it was so cool. Crackers. Because you said about wasting it. Like if you have extra. And oh, that was the other thing before I mind fart on this. So when you make the starter, you carry it over to the next loaf and the next loaf and the next loaf, right? Or, or are you making new starter every time? No. So the starter, when you are using your starter, it, and if you want to perpetually use it, you typically have some that's set aside as your as your discard or it's the starter that you keep feeding. And this is why there are starters that are hundreds of years old. There's actually a museum, I think, in France that so, has starters that are from like the 1800s. That is gnarly. Old, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I need it. It's so cool. the same idea as like the mother with kombucha? Yes. Very, very, very similar to the mother, idea of the mother. I mean, you know, it, people in Alaska used to, they carry it in like a little ceramic necklace so that they can make bread on demand in like the cold wilderness and Arctic and conditions because it's kept warm with their body heat. So Weird. it's definitely, it's cool as you learn more about it. And um, if you ever want to watch or do watch the documentary Blue Zones on Netflix, they mm -hmm. almost every culture has a sourdough bread. Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of scientists think is a potentially a key to their longevity. And there might be some truth to that because they say if, um, if you have a slice of sourdough, it will, no matter what you're eating, it will lower the glycemic index of the entire meal period. Mm -hmm. Wow. A, people are looking more at sourdough as a healthy alternative to whatever they're eating and, and not that it's gluten-free, but it has less gluten in it. So if you had celiac or something like that, you certainly couldn't have a standard sourdough. But if you had some gluten sensitivities, some people opt for sourdough for that reason. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, if you're looking into the fermented food thing, that's a huge thing. I think that, what are they called, the... Uh fermentation fairies or something it's the, uh, these two girls that do like ferment, fermenting stuff and everything like not even just kombucha but like kimchi and like uh you know all, all these different fermented foods are supposed to be so fucking good for you and it why because it's got yeast in it or whatever that's eating the sugar that makes sense so what we were talking about with cancer and stuff if it's if you're eating that stuff and it's you know cleaning up your gut biome a little bit it makes sense that sourdough would be better for you too especially one from the 1800s Gotta get my hands on that. 
I'll do that. I'll keep you posted. Um, and maybe that's someone we come visit you guys. Maybe that's summer. a Christmas <laughs> present in the works for her. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an expensive one, <laughs> but uh, you know, be like buying a hundred year old bottle of wine. <laughs> hey, we're talking about almost 200 years worth of accruing value there. So, you know, I think really it was interesting on that Blue Zones documentary. It was it was a culmination of sourdough bread. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it's also a prebiotic. I mean, you know, it helps cultivate the good bacteria in your uh, gut biome. Um, and even what she said as well with the lowering of the glycemic index, I'm they, I was even reading something about how if you eat sourdough with foods that do have sugar, it does help reduce that insulin spike. So, you know, that's, it's very, it's very interesting how something so simple, that's only like four, five ingredients max, could, you know, have potentially these kinds of health effects. And it's funny the other day, because sometimes, you know, we do HelloFresh for uh, our weeknight meals sometimes. It's normally very clean, healthy food, but they sent us this ciabatta roll. Do you remember that? So they sent us this ciabatta roll and like, I'm about to eat it. And then I turn over and I look at the ingredients and there's 30 ingredients in this ciabatta roll. It's like what? I was like, I'm going to pass. And she was like, corn syrup salads. Oh yeah. I was like, like, "Um, let's just have my bread. Exactly. Feel bad about tossing this, but we've, we've become, we've become bread snobs because I was looking at the ciabatta roll and I'm like, you know, I've watched you bake bread. I know how bread's made. There's no way there's 30 fucking ingredients in this fucking to roll of bread. Fresh for months. Yeah. For months, yes. If you wanna, if you wanna, I guess, you know, yeah. make it make it a Twinkie bread and last the apocalypse, but that's kind of what well, that's that's like rainbow like white bread. Like that's the reason they have to add so much shit to it is because they stripped all the natural shit out of it in the process of making the flour and then bleached the fuck out of it. So they're like, fuck, we gotta add some. Uh, vitamins or something back it's in like there orange juice from concentrate they're like yeah well we sort of sucked all of this out of an orange and then we put all this stuff back in and here's some vitamins and too. added and some water yeah. there you go I, I feel the same way though every time i make bread i'm like this is the simplest shit it's like four ingredients max and it tastes delicious i get it like you were saying preserving for s- store shelves and all that stuff but all the other stuff they put in there is like Mm-mm. That doesn't even need to be in there. Like, well, just make it out of the food. All of their industrial waste somehow. So uh, they're just going to, yeah. like, turn it into Pretty a thousand much. different things and call it something else and then throw it in your food. And now you're eating, you know, basically plastic. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it, right? We're basically Barbie and Ken. I don't know. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's, it's starting to seem that way. I mean, it's, it's maybe not us. We're trying not to eat too much plastic. Exactly. We're doing our best. Not a lot of plastic. We're not getting into that. But honestly, even me, like I've, I noticed too when I eat sourdough. I mean, I'm sure you guys have had the the um, unbleached or the bleached bread and things like that. The white bread. You get very bloated and you get very tired oh, after yeah. after you eat it. I think it's really because you know there's absolutely no fiber. It's really just a quick carbohydrate hit and then it fades away i do notice that when i do eat the sour bread i'm way more satiated for way longer in fact i've noticed it takes me longer to eat the meal when i eat sourdough and um i noticed that my blood sugars are actually from a physical biofeedback standpoint um they're actually more stable throughout the day when i do the sourdough so i i think it's really a win-win and i i think a lot of people need to start getting on it yeah interesting i just made sandwiches uh, i mean granted it was like grilled cheese buffalo sandwich was it the buffalo ones i don't know it was some kind of chicken sandwich or something but i did it on a uh, grilled sourdough 
And it was store-bought, of course, but it was delicious fucking sourdough. It was so good. That was great. We should start making, you should start making your own. I mean, I oh, can I'm try to. too, but I know that you're just going to take it over. If Send I me the link it. in the, uh, either the Zoom chat or email it over the, whatever you use to get oh, going. On. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes too, if anybody's interested. And I'll also put your uh, Facebook page and anything else you want in there. But yeah, what else are you guys cool. doing? I mean, you don't. Do you, I'm do you assuming, guys have chickens yet? Yeah. Do you live Not on the no, so so unfortunately right now, so you know we're living in a townhouse. Um, so what we do have is we have a indoor grow bench that I set up actually in the room next to us. Um, so I actually uh, you know, pulled power off. Um, you know, being an electrician at all, I pulled power off one of the outlets from behind it and I set up what it is. It's a switch um to control three hard switched uh grow lights. And then we have a switch controlled plug uh, to control the low volt LEDs. Um, I'll send photos of it to you guys. We don't have anything in there right now. We're going to start it up again, come at the beginning of the new year. But um, so essentially what we did is we would start our seeds, right? We would start germinating, germinating them indoors. Uh, we would use a little peat moss um starters for them you know get them nice and wet put them in there and they came in these germination trays and we had one shelf that was set up fairly close to the uh low volt uv led um that was the starter shelf and then we had one shelf that was a little bit farther away you know that was kind of where you know they're starting to grow they're starting to sprout the toddler shelf, the toddler shelf. and then where we had the uh three hardwired led grow lights um that's the adult shelf before we would move them outside and uh we didn't decide to, we decided decided to put some outside um what was the bug invasion we got that oh uh gosh. yeah it was a lot a... of plants so there's just you it's just part of life of having any type of living thing here was it aphids or what was it called that, um, we had that we had year. an aphid invasion this year for the yeah. first time ever we yeah. lived here three we years never, never had it aphids and we had them on a couple plants that we had down here and we were like they shit the everywhere they almost destroyed well, one of our trees was, and they got on one of my lemons like the oldest lemon that i have is three years old and it was just under our what crepe myrtle tree and the crepe myrtle turned it sappy the leaves turned like um it looked like they it were was covered glossy. in syrup and then there was sap all over the ground and it got all over my lemon but they're fine now we thought it was sap the aphids are dead turns out it's uh bug turds yeah, it's like yeah it's they're gross. they're discard they're waste so it's interesting because I actually remember what plant the aphids got on. Yeah. No, no, we'll talk. We could talk about it here. But uh, so, uh, so um, one of my older um, homesteading projects, um, I was growing plant uh, made pharmaceuticals or organic, or I guess you could say plant made um, medicinal compounds. And one uh, of them. Really? One of the ones that I was growing, actually, um, and I grew it once just because I wanted to grow it once and I wanted to experience it in its natural state like that was the opium poppy. So I grew I grew a uh, a, a little bit of opium poppies. And then it was funny because uh, I, I had to forcefully move them outside. And uh, because the we had a crazy late May snowstorm that was just this. Uh, yep, we get them out here. We get crazy late May snowstorms. Joe's like, if it's not so eighty five by May, I'm kind of mad. I know. So I'm from the East Coast. <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts. So I don't. I totally know what that is. I wouldn't even plant anything until after Mother's Day, and that was like if if it was, it was after enough. Mother's Day storm. It was kind of yeah. Like so that is pretty weird, off. but yeah. yeah, it was so we. So I ended up having to move them outside. Um, you know, because all of our grow lights were out, we had no power. I even tried hooking up an inverter uh, to the uh, to one phase of the electrical 
And um, I got I got one thing started running, and then the inverter burnt out. So we were without power for a good like four days. So we ended up oh, taking no. it. Yeah, yeah, we were rough. I was cooking on the grill every day. I mean, it wasn't. It was the most depressing. <laughs> radio, and we'd listen to like five minutes of music, and then be like, oh, let me crank it a little longer. It was it wasn't too bad, but then you know I ended up I ended up bringing them back inside, and she comes up like right away, bringing them back out. She's like, Stephen, these have aphids on them, and I was I like, oh. God. So I ended up, you know, letting them sit outside and, and, and pass at that point. But then what were the other? Oh. Yeah, they got pretty. They got pretty. You know, it's, it's they were like pink and red and purple and white. And they were really pretty. The aphids completely destroyed them. They actually didn't kill our tree. I'm shocked. But they were they little at that point, your plants? So they so they, they didn't completely destroy all of them. There was one particular one that they seemed to take a liking to. And I was kind of <laughs> laughing the whole time. I'm like, these are gonna be some high ass aphids by the time they get off this. this I know what's up. They know what plants <laughs> to eat. Damn. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, these aphids are gonna just be laid out on the ground. But you know, that was one of the other, you know, ones. But we, yeah, we do a, um what did we have? A we did a lot of lettuces. We had uh we had a butter lettuce, we had romaine lettuce, um, we did our spinaches never seemed to take for some reason. Every time when they got to a certain point, they would just go to seed immediately. And uh, we were like, damn, dude, I wonder what's going on. And then, uh, you know, we had a couple of trial and errors with other things, too. I mean, we had to kind of learn the hard way with carrots. They got to be planted fairly deep. Yeah, it's not and really that... a plant you can grow indoors like in a... It's just they're not really very conducive to that. Yeah, you have we've learned pot. the same stuff. I, I, mean, I get that. I mean, yeah. we... we... Oh, I guess it wasn't that deep of a pot, but they should have been at least five or six inches. And they were like knobbins like this. <laughs> and as soon as they start to go to seed that you can't, they're inedible at that point. So as soon as they start flowering, they stop growing the root. And so we were like, oh, these carrots are going to be huge. And we pulled it up and it was this like tiny little thing. Oh, the stalk looked like it would be a, <laughs> like a, a Bugs Bunny <laughs> carrot. Like I, I went to go pull it up like and it just went. He yeah. popped out because he's a little little guy. I'm like, God damn it. I think this is the year we uh yeah, did you guys yeah. Did you guys say do potatoes you were telling us or the potatoes last year? This year it didn't work, but last year we grew we grew mini potatoes. They're they little baby, baby reds. Baby reds, but it was off of some organic potatoes I got um that started eyeing. So I cut them into quarters and I put them in a five gallon bucket and they grew these little baby reds. And we we did so make cool. them. Oh yeah, with a nice steak dinner one night. I think and we this had is like the first year we've actually once. done this amount of variety of different types of food, but it's because yeah. we have the area, and I made that garden thing and all that stuff. So we we did a lot of different stuff this year, and some of it turned out bumper, like the zucchini. Way too much zucchini, more zucchini than I would zucchini. ever eat in I in mean, a season. Ate everything in the garden. It was like it took over. So we had cherry tomatoes. We still have cherry tomatoes. I didn't realize how how often I don't use cucumbers until you grow fucking eighteen inch English dongers. We gave them away, so I got an English cucumber plant that was dying. It was like half an inch long, and I just felt bad for it. So I we also put copper pipes in that Mitch the Orgone donor gave us, um, and it totally came back to life and it grew like seven or eight huge cucumbers. But I gave them away to our friends who like cucumbers. Man, if everybody did that, hey, we could all just trade foods. Wouldn't be a big deal, right? We say exactly. this all the time. Turn your lawn into a garden and give me food. Sage and basil, and I um, I dried it and I put it in. You know, I processed it, but I I have two bottles of sage now, and the plant is still going crazy. And I'm like, 
I don't know, man. Like, it, I think I have enough sage. I know. I don't even know if it's going to last till next year through the winter. Probably not. But we have a bunch of it dried and I don't use it like ever. So thank you. <laughs> Joe, Sage. I'm good. Joe, you were talking about how, uh, you know, we should all turn our our lawns into, you know, gardens. And I completely agree with that. Have you guys ever heard the uh, conspiracy about city planners who do the landscaping in cities? So what they do is they purposefully the reason why we have such bad pollen issues is they purposefully plant all male plants. And, you know, and that is why we have all of these allergies and these pollen issues. So like you would think, you know, to help alleviate the issue that, um, you know, you would plant some female plants and get some fruited trees. Well, they had a problem with that because then people would be getting free food. And that's like one of the biggest things I, I miss about Florida because, you know, I was just back there visiting last weekend, um, but I still got to see it. They had a neighborhood mango tree, a neighborhood loquat tree, a neighborhood mineola tree, where when these things just go into bloom, man, people can just go. I mean, people are reasonable. They're not filling like 10 burlap sacks and running out of there. But, you know, they, they go and collect just enough for their family to have some mangoes or some loquats or oranges for the weekend. It's respected amongst the community. And I think a lot of people just need to have faith in their community when it comes to things like this, because I believe people are inherently good. Yeah, we got our bad apples here and there. But, you know, I think, you know, turning your lawn into a garden and planting more female trees in the city centers, um, you know, is a really good step we can start taking to a more sustainable future. I, I saw somebody actually comment that uh, there was a meme or something about, hey, you know, the trees on like the middle of like in the parks or whatever. Why don't these all, all just fruit trees, like fruit trees and like other, you know, fruiting bushes and whatnot. Like we have a lot of wild blackberries out here because they're kind of invasive actually. And they're, they grow everywhere. You can go down to the river and find a shitload of them. And that that's free. It wasn't planted on purpose though. But yeah, I Didn't saw somebody just take those out. Those ones. Yeah. The ones by the trail, but the, yeah, the ones by the trail where the homeless people lived, they took out all of the natural blackberry yeah. bushes. But I, I saw somebody comment on it and they're like, Oh, the reason they can't have all these fruit trees in, in the city is because of bugs because they'll rot and then bugs. And it's like, no, I think what? they were trying to keep the homeless people away. No, I was talking about the meme I saw, not oh. the blackberries. Oh, right. But yeah, like 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 orange trees in the park or you know whatever kind of fruit trees. Oh, because nobody will eat them, then they'll drop and have bug bug problems and rots. And it's like what? It'll it'll decompose and then feed the earth again. It's fine. Like exactly. it's part of what happens. Yeah, it's not garbage. Yeah. No. And I mean, even fermented fruits, I mean, the animals love fermented fruits. I mean, there's, I was actually watching this. Uh, so, so I was watching this video and it talks about how, if you ever see a honeybee that can't fly and it's just walking around the bumblebee, it got drunk off the fermented nectar. Almost certainly they were kind of going and they also, so birds as well, what birds will do is they'll wait till after the first frost. And what happens is after the first frost, a lot of the berries will start to ferment. So if you see a bird that flies into a window or something like that, it's most likely the bird is intoxicated. And it's so funny because up in Canada, they have little retreats for them that they'll get, grab them when they're drunk <laughs> and then they'll let them sober up <laughs> <laughs> once they're sobered oh yeah man it's funny because you know even the animals like to enjoy you know their fermented fruits and stuff like that and that's why i think you know that that whole thing man the whole bugs i mean dude there's bugs outside anyways i mean we have a we have a plethora of bugs and uh i just think it's an excuse most certainly yeah 
And uh, yeah, and dolphins, uh, another one that loves the well, loves the puffer fish. That whole story where they literally puff puff pass the puffer fish around to the other dolphin to get high as fuck on it. God bless the dolphins. That's amazing. God, it's funny too. Anything else before we uh, get out of here? You got anything you want to add in? So, I mean, honestly, one thing I say is check out Melissa's website. I mean, guys, like it's it's absolutely fantastic. The bread she bakes, um, it's made with a lot of love. Yes. And, um, you know, I think that's also a really prime ingredient when you always got to cook with love. I mean, it always tastes different when you throw love in there. And uh, just give her a shot, man. And um, I'll be helping her any way that I can. Um, you know, I, I'm not a bread baking master like she is just yet. But, um, you know, I really would like you to check out Krusty Charm Bakehouse, everybody, and uh, help support Melissa here on her sourdough endeavor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say try new things. You know, there's so many little things that you can get into. I think a lot of us are slowly trying to get closer to what is a more natural lifestyle and and get away from what is this overly processed, overly consumer and just on demand, on demand, on demand. A lot of those things, it's you got to get used to the culture shift in your own mind of it takes a little bit of time, but um, try new things and some of them will fail and some of the failures along the way are fun. You learn. Um, but you learn. And so I would say to anybody who's interested in doing it, don't feel like you can't join groups. Um, there's so many people that are willing to share information. Um, and if you're interested in sourdough, um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to share what I've learned along the way. And I'm sure I will learn more as I continue to grow. So, and she'll send me everything and I'll text it over to you, Joe yeah. or Jen. You have Jen's number, right? You can text it to Jen too. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we just, can have a sourdough bake off in our house. Yeah, I mean, with uh, the holidays coming up, I might want to actually get on this now because uh, I'm yeah. very interested to try it. Sounds relatively easy, something new but easy. But yeah, send me all the links and all the all the stuff you uh, any resources or anything that you have that people would find helpful with all of this. But well, thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been a long time coming, um, especially for us who have just not done shows in like a month but yeah, but we talked about this when we met you guys in august we're like mm-hmm. we should do a show about your homesteading and your sourdough and ironically i mean i guess it's not ironic but you had just started and now you've done a bajillion things because i started following you as soon as i met you in august and i've just seen crazy sourdough recipe after crazy sourdough recipe for the last three months and it just seems uh, it's amazing you need your own little bake shop or do the the cottage laws and get your own little um like a farm stand or something like that. My, my plan is to try and save up and buy her like a little cart that maybe we could do like a a, a gas oven or something like that or so you know something that she could you know maybe have a few rolls and prep it or a few loaves and prep and have yeah, uh you know some slices and coffee on a trail somewhere and you can have like a, a food truck. And... Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll see. The world's my oyster, so. Definitely. Well, guys, thank you again so much again for having us on. It's always an honor. Thanks, of guys. Course. Thank and yeah, you. you can start off as like a, a a food red wagon. It doesn't have to be a whole food truck. You know, you could just wheel wheel, wheel your loaves around like you're six years old in a in a wagon and sell them. In the it back, work. Of the back of my car, just like open the truck. Yeah. You want some well, you bread? can use a car too. I got all sorts of bread. <laughs> it's like she's pulling up. She's pulling up to the trap. What kind of loaf you want? What kind of loaf you want? <laughs> I got round loaves. Like bread on the You think cash only, motherfucker? Wait, I said goat cheese, bitch. What is this? <laughs> She opens up her coat and she's got three different starters hanging there. She's like, which, which one you want? Just dried starter and baggies. Be like, which one do you want? This is no, a TikTok, not- you guys. You guys have to make like a TikTok uh, version of what we're just talking about right now. 
Oh, hell yeah. Huh? It's so funny. Uh, hey, we're always open to ideas, but you know, yeah, we'll get everything sent to you guys, man. And um, you know, other than that, let's uh let's plan uh the visit. We'll come out and maybe see you guys this summer, hang oh, yeah, out. That would be amazing. You That'd should be awesome. Yeah. Not always you hot, doggo but... too. Yes. We, we have a pool. It's not so much beach, but pool. So we do have that when it gets over your Colorado <laughs> temperatures of 75. <laughs> Fair enough. Just give it a shit. <laughs> All right, you guys. Um, have a great night. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all the listeners. Uh, everybody in Rockfin YouTube. Uh, actually, fuck YouTube. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>